Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. He, that is Christ, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the second century, about a hundred years after Jesus ascended into heaven, there was a pastor named Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a pastor in Lyon, France, but he didn't grow up there. He was born and raised in the town of Smyrna in what is now modern-day Turkey, the same Smyrna that uh, John the Apostle writes to in the book of Revelation in the letters to the seven churches. Irenaeus was a disciple of another pastor named Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, the disciple of Jesus. So Irenaeus leaves his home in Smyrna to go serve a church in Lyon, France. And as he travels from Smyrna to Lyon, from Turkey to France, he began to write down some of his reflections on the theological debates that were going on back in his home church in Turkey. He ended up writing five books, big books, which we now call Against the Heresies. And in these five books, Irenaeus identifies and argues against what he thought was the greatest threat to the church in his day, the heresy of Gnosticism. The history of Gnosticism is really interesting because Gnosticism actually starts not as a heresy of Christianity, but as a separate religion, which then got mixed up with the young Christian faith as it began to grow and spread throughout the first century in the Mediterranean region. 
Gnosticism was a new religion that sprung up in the first century, probably in Asia Minor, in the eastern part of Asia Minor, and it was kind of a combination of Persian Zoroastrianism and Jewish mysticism. It was a syncretistic religion, which means that it was really adaptable. As Gnosticism spread to different parts of the world and encountered different religions, it would just take their religious texts and say that those texts are our texts too. And whatever community it went into, whatever religious community it went, went into, it would take their holy scriptures and would reinterpret them through a Gnostic lens, through a Gnostic worldview. Because of its adaptability and, adopt, and adopting such a diversity of religious texts, Gnosticism is kind of hard to pin down when you look at the history of it, because Gnosticism looked very different in Asia Minor, where Irenaeus was from, than it looked in Persia, than it looked in Egypt, than it looked in Israel. It spread as far west as Spain and as far east as China, taking on a different flavor everywhere it went. At its root, Gnosticism taught that there was a little bit of truth in every religion's scriptures. But hidden in those scriptures was a path to a higher, secret, spiritual knowledge. That's what Gnosticism means in the Greek. Have you ever wondered why the K is silent in knowledge? It's because it comes from the Greek word gnosis, which is the root of Gnosticism. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, and that's what the teachings of Gnosticism offered to anyone who was interested. A higher, secret, spiritual knowledge, which could be yours. And the secret knowledge that Gnosticism offered was this, that above and beyond everything that you can see and touch and feel and hear and smell, above everything that you can know, there is a secret spiritual God to whom we all belong. Every person has the spirit of God inside of them. But the Spirit of God is trapped in this worldly body and distracted by the things of this world. But if we can transcend this body, if we can escape this body, if our soul can climb the ladder of secret knowledge, then we will be reunited with the Spirit God, which is where our spirit belongs. Our spirit belongs with the spirit God, not with this worldly body. The spirit is good. The world is bad. Find the path to secret knowledge, and your spirit will escape the world and rejoin the spiritual realm. This is what Gnosticism taught. And that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, because it doesn't sound very foreign. The world is bad. The spirit is good. And if you know the right things, then you will be saved. If you have the secret knowledge, then you will know God. So much of modern spirituality is based around this basic concept. You have to escape the trappings of the material world to find your true self, your inner self. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Your true life is hidden with Christ in God. 
it's very easy to Christianize this ideology, and that's exactly what the Gnostics in Irenaeus' hometown were doing. When Christians in the first century converted to Gnosticism, they didn't leave the church. Instead, they went back to their congregations and presented themselves as teachers, as guides, who could show people the way to this higher spiritual knowledge, which they claimed that Jesus taught to his disciples, but the disciples didn't write down in the Gospels to prevent it from, from falling into the wrong hands, to protect it from those who were unworthy. On the surface, Gnosticism seems pretty compatible with Christianity. But there's one major problem in Christianity that Gnosticism can't deal with. And that is the Incarnation. In Gnosticism, it's simply unfathomable for God to take on something as worldly, as evil, as mundane as human flesh. The physical world in Gnosticism is a mistake. It's a trick. It's a trap set up by a rebellious angel, by a false god who is angry at the spirit god. And this is where things get a little bit crazy, so stick with me here. Because in the Gnostic creation myth, the spirit god emanates these other spiritual beings called eons. And these spiritual eons which are beings, not, not like eras of time, but these are spiritual beings called eons. These spiritual eons just kind of flow out of the spirit God. He doesn't really create them or control them or even care about them because he's pure spirit. He has no emotions. But they're a part of him because they come from him. And one of these eons, one of these spiritual beings, which the Gnostics called the Demiurge, decided to create a physical world to trap other eons in, to trap other spiritual beings and keep them away from the spirit God. And when the Gnostics got a hold of the Christian Bible, they looked at the Old Testament and they were like, ah, oh, yeah, that right there, that's the Demiurge. That Yahweh fellow who creates the physical world and traps divine spirits in physical bodies who tells one nation that they're more special than all the rest and has them make continual war against every other nation on the earth. That's the Demiurge. But this Christ fellow, this guy who is the way, the truth, and the life, the Gnostics explained that he was, he was another eon. And this divine spiritual eon, Christ, fills and inspires the human man Jesus fills him with the secret knowledge, reveals to him the path of spiritual truth so that he can show the rest of humanity how to ascend the ladder of knowledge so that they can be set free from the prison of this physical world and take their rightful place as eternal spiritual eons in the divine spirit God. God doesn't become human. The Christ eon reveals the path of secret knowledge to Jesus. That's how it works in Gnosticism. That was a little bit all over the place, but... This is what some people are teaching in Irenaeus' hometown, in his home church. And Irenaeus, in his writings, is uncompromising. 
this teaching about a secret knowledge that is better than faith is heresy. This teaching that we are not physical creatures, that you are not your body, is heresy. Any person with a grain of common sense understands that. When you hurt my body, you hurt me. Because this is me. This is the person that God created. My self is not hidden from you. You can see me. This is me. We are not spirits trapped in a body. We are human, flesh and blood, body and soul. And when God created us this way, he called it very good. And we believe and we confess with one heart and one voice a great truth that scandalizes the Gnostic mind that God became human. In the incarnation, the Word of God, the Son of God, takes on human flesh and blood. What we have in the person of Jesus is not a man possessed with secret knowledge. He is God in the flesh. Jesus does not show us the way to God by teaching his disciples the path of spiritual learning. He shows us the way to God because he is God. Irenaeus is widely considered to be the father of Christian theology. And many Christian theologians follow his lead in saying that the root of all heresy, not just Gnosticism, but all heresy, is the denial of the incarnation. Docetism teaches that Jesus only appeared to be human. Adoptionism and Ebionism, like Gnosticism, teach that Jesus was a righteous person who became divine when the Spirit inspired him or filled him or possessed him or came upon him. Arianism teaches that Jesus was not eternal God, but that he was the first creation of the Father through which all other things were made. Nestorianism teaches that Jesus was a human who had both a human soul and a divine soul that cohabitated the same body. Eutychianism, which is a fun one, uh, teaches that the divine and human coming together in Jesus created a new thing which was neither human nor divine, but a, a tertium quid, a third thing. At the center of Irenaeus' theological project is one central truth, that God became human. God became human to reconcile humanity to God. Or as C.S. Lewis summarizes it, the Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that the children of man might become the children of God. What is at stake for Irenaeus in these five books defending the incarnation is salvation itself. And the Belgian Confession echoes that when it says, our reality and resurrection depend on the reality of Christ's body. Our salvation and resurrection depend on the reality of Christ's body. Irenaeus says, if Christ is not human, then he can't stand in humanity's place or pay the price for humanity's sin. 
But if Christ is not God, then he cannot defeat death. And our enemy lives on. If Christ does not have flesh and blood, then flesh and blood is not saved. If Christ is simply spirit, then he did not suffer, he did not die, he did not rise from the dead, and his body did not ascend into heaven. And if he did not suffer, then our suffering is in vain. If he did not die, then our enemy has not been defeated. If, his, if he did not rise from the dead, sorry, if he did not die, then our debt has not been paid. If he did not rise from the dead, then our enemy has not been defeated. And if his body did not ascend into heaven, then we have no guarantee that we can ever see God. If the Son of God has not come to earth, has not taken on flesh and blood, then there is no hope for us. In his letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul explains to us what exactly God accomplishes in the Incarnation. Through the Incarnation of the Son, the image of the invisible God is revealed to all humankind. The firstborn of all creation enters into the creation that he has made. The one who holds all things together comes to hold his church together. But in verse 19, the apostle gets to his main point. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then we get the gospel in a nutshell. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your sin, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The Apostle Paul emphasizes the same things that Irenaeus does, or I guess it's the other way around. Irenaeus emphasizes the same things that the Apostle Paul does. That reconciliation with God comes through Christ's physical blood, through Christ's physical body, through Christ's physical death. The path to God is not spiritual knowledge. The path to God is union with Christ, union with the body of Christ. The Belgian Confession is going to go on from here to talk about the work of Christ throughout the gospel. Justice, mercy, the atonement, the righteousness of faith, justification, sanctification, the fulfillment of the law, how Christ intercedes for us in the presence of the Father. And then from there, it's going to go on to talk about the church, church membership, church government, office bearers, church order, church discipline, the sacraments. But everything that follows stems from this fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human and we are united with him. 
we are united with him. For Irenaeus, Gnosticism is a heresy because it rejects the incarnation. Gnosticism rejected the incarnation because it rejected the original goodness of God's creation and therefore rejected any possibility of creation being redeemed because there's nothing to redeem because it was never a good thing. But the great tragedy of Gnosticism, according to Irenaeus, was that the Gnostics were confused about who we are as Christians. The Gnostics believed that we were little pieces of the Holy Spirit, little pieces of the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God had been trapped inside of us. And if we could just get the right knowledge if we could just figure out the right truths to help us transcend this physical world, then we would unlock that divine potential that is inside all of us and realize that we are all God. But scripture doesn't teach that we are the spirit of God. Scripture teaches that we are the body of Christ. We come to God not by knowledge, which only some people have, but by faith, which everyone can have. From the smart to the dumb, young to old, great and small. This is the great scandal of the Christian faith that has baffled people for millennia. That God took on flesh and blood, and that flesh and blood is offered to us in the person of Jesus Christ, offered to us in the sacraments, offered to us in the church, the living, breathing, moving body of Christ through faith. In his incarnation, the Son of God brings heaven to earth so that in his ascension, he can bring human flesh presence of God, which is what we all long for, to live in the presence of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said,